beginning at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they had prayed, their place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning again. Um, Do have a Bible in front of you if you um, want to follow along. Uh, There are some dotted around the place. Um, Not just so you can follow along, but so you can... Oh, sorry, that squeaked. Um, But also so that you can make sure that I'm not making things up and that what I say um, goes with what the Bible says, because that's really important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've sung about and heard this morning of the way that you are at work. We thank you for the gift that you give us, and at this moment we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we look at this passage now, you'd help us to hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few questions for you to begin with, and uh, the first one is this. What would you do if someone told you you couldn't talk about Jesus anywhere? First thing, okay. Second question. What would you do if you were told not to do anything in the name of Jesus? Well, what about this one? What would you do if you were told you had to keep your faith secret, and if you didn't, you might be arrested? So it's getting a little bit harder, isn't it, really? What would you do if your life was threatened because of your faith? Those are difficult questions, but they're questions that many people face around the world. And what we find in this passage is that's exactly what's happened here as well. In the passage that um, we heard last week, um, Sally preached on that. And and in that passage, we heard that Peter and John had been arrested as they were speaking um, uh, about the resurrection of the dead. And and also because they'd healed this this man who'd been crippled um, since birth, and he was over 40. But that arrest didn't stop the word because even more people became Christians. Peter and John then spoke to the rulers, uh, to the elders, to the teachers of the law, and they were asked, by what power or what name did you do this? And this led Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, to preach to them once more. But the authorities, well, let's face it, they had no leg to stand on 
sorry, that's a really bad pun, um, because the crippled man who'd been healed was standing right before them. They couldn't argue with him, with them, about anything because of that, because the healing was visible there. So what could they do? Well, they could command Peter and John to not speak again in the name of Jesus. And that's what they did. They were scared, they were concerned about what these men could do in the name of Jesus. And they tried to stop them. So when Peter and John were released from prison, they uh, returned to their fellow believers and they reported what had happened, which is where we picked up the story this morning. So put yourself in the position of this early church. What do they do? Do they run away when they're told this? No, they don't. Do they hide? No, what we find out is that they pray. And so we're going to think about what they pray this morning. First thing we find is that these early Christians pray and address and acknowledge who they are speaking to. They acknowledge who they are praying to. I wonder how often it is, is that the case for ourselves, when we just think about who it is we are praying to, when we say these words, when we think our prayers, whatever it might be, do we just acknowledge just who it is that we are speaking to? And the first thing they say is this, they say, Sovereign Lord. They address God by recognizing his sovereignty, his kingship, in other words, they were, they were showing who was in control. It wasn't the authorities, thankfully, but the Lord. And I wonder, actually, at this time in history, that's an important thing for us to recognize as well. As we pray to our sovereign Lord, we are recognizing, unsurprisingly, his sovereignty, that all things come under his rule and sovereignty. That is who we are praying to. That is who they were praying to. They knew, they acknowledged God's authority. And in today's world, as I've said, that is so important, isn't it? With the, with the struggle for power that we have seen in this last week, for example, isn't it good to know who is sovereign and Lord? It's our Lord God. It's no one other than our saviour. And not only that, we have the privilege to be able to speak to him. And not only that, he wants to hear from us. That is who we are speaking to. Next, these early Christians pray this. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So as well as addressing God as sovereign, they worship him as creator for all that he has made, that he has authority over creation, that he has power. Think of, of Jesus calming the storm, demonstrating in a really visual way his power over creation. And addressing God as creator and, and praising him for that is, is a really important thing for us to do in our prayers because it means that we recognize not only God's authority, 
but his power. We are praying to a God who has power to create, who has power over and with and through creation. And these early Christians knew that. In your prayers, is that something that you acknowledge? Because if it's true, if that is the case, then surely it changes our understanding of the power of prayer. Because look who we are praying to. Not only are we praying to a Lord and sovereign, we are praying to the creator himself. So they've addressed God as savior, as, as sovereign, they've addressed God as, as author of creation, and next they address God as the one who gives revelation by his Holy Spirit. In verse 25 it says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. In Psalm 2, which they quote, David had foreseen the world's opposition to Jesus. And they quote it here. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Then they refer to the God of history. That's the next thing they do. So they refer to the sovereign Lord, to creator, to the God who reveals himself in, uh, through the Holy Spirit. And finally, they refer to the God of history. They remember Herod, they remember Pilate conspiring with the people against Jesus, but also recognizing that God had power and control over even that. In verse 28, they say, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now that's all fascinating, particularly that last bit. Because instead of blaming God for what was going on with the persecution they were experiencing in a, in a, in a negative way, they recall God's sovereignty. They recall his creative power, his revelation, even his involvement in history. It's like they're turning on its head all uh, that they were experiencing. And so in their prayer, they're reminding themselves that God is in control. They don't blame God. They don't get pushed down by the persecution. They somehow take it. They reattribute what has happened to they reattribute what has happened and give it to God. And they see it as part of what he wants. Which I guess in some ways takes some of the steam, some of the sting out of what the authorities have been doing here. So that's how they address God. But, but what would you pray at this point? You've, you've done all of that. You know, after all of that, what would you pray next? I'm thinking I might say something like, Lord, protect us. You know, keep us safe. Help us to stand firm in you. All those sort of words that I can feel myself thinking, yeah, I've said that many times. I might even be tempted to ask God to sort the opposition out, you know, or defeat them, rain down fire on them, fire from heaven on them, or something like that. I'm not sure I would have prayed what they pray, what these early Christians prayed next. Because what they pray next is absolute testimony to their trust in God and their passion in the gospel. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats 
and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Wow. You know, rather than praying for protection, they're basically saying, more, Lord. You know, they ask for boldness. Keep us going. None of this, okay, then we won't speak in the name of Jesus, but, but Lord, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. You know, in the sight of persecution and even being told not to speak in the name of Jesus, they ask God to enable them to do just what they've been told not to do. Now remember, this isn't just Peter and John praying either. You know, this is all the Christians there. Not just some of them, not just the ones who were the evangelists. Because look at the very last verse. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All. Not just a few, but all. As Sally reminded us last week, Peter and John were ordinary blokes. They weren't schooled. They didn't have theology degrees. They didn't have any bits of plastic around their neck. I mean, plastic hadn't been invented, but never mind. Evangelism mission is not just for a few chosen people. And it it seems to have that stigma, doesn't it, that that means that we think it's it's for the professionals. Uh, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, in an interview I heard on Premier Christian Radio a few years ago now, said that if you leave evangelism just up to the professionals, you are committing missionary suicide. Evangelism, proclaiming the good news in word and deed, is for all of us. And it's demonstrated to be just like that, very powerfully here in the early church. They'd already done it by this point, of course. We've already heard that empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, many people came to faith. That they'd spoken the word of God boldly, not just a few, but all. You know, how can this be possible? You know, surely they weren't all gifted or eloquent preachers or able to tell profound jokes that made people think. No, they would have been the people like you and me. The reason they spoke boldly was the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit. And they all spoke the word of God boldly. I don't know who your favorite comedian is. One of mine is Milton Jones. um, And he does have some brilliant one-liners. And one of the things he says, I don't think this is a joke. Let me just read it out and you'll see what I mean. He says this, sometimes I'm the type of Christian who mistakes exaggeration for evangelism. Oh yes, I forge links with neighbors, the local community, contacts all over the world. I forge all sorts of things, he says. But actually what he's saying is that it can be very easy to get to know people and even exaggerate those relationships. But it doesn't do any evangelism in it. He doesn't boldly speak about Jesus. I wonder how many times have you found yourself in that position? I know I've shied away many times. I remember one occasion when I was at the supermarket and I was uh, at the checkout and um, there was this woman. I just had a real sense that I should offer to pray for her. Did I? No. I really regretted it. That sense of, you know, those moments when you sort of have this sort of godly prod and then you don't do anything about it. I prayed for her afterwards, but it would have been much better if I'd been offered to pray, Uh, but I didn't. Because what we need is the Holy Spirit enabling us to speak of the word of God boldly. 
Um, I remember a fellow violinist of mine when I was probably about 18, maybe 17, and I have to admit I was really jealous of her. She was just such a fantastic player. She was far better than I was. And I, and I remember our A-level music teacher telling me uh, that something happened when this girl played the violin. I don't know what that was saying about my playing. Who knows? Anyway, um, but she said, when this person played the violin, it was like she was transformed. She was a completely different person when she didn't have the violin in her hand. Because when she was just standing there and not having her violin, she was really quiet and very shy. Maybe that was the difference between us, actually. Uh, but, but boy, did that change when she played. Maybe you know people like that in your own field or in your family or with your friends or colleagues. But do you know what? That is exactly what happens when the Holy Spirit is at work in us. We are transformed. That's what happened to these early Christians. We can try and do it in our own strength, but we will be far more effective with the Holy Spirit because it's then that we're transformed. The thing is, these early Christians were not afraid to pray a bold prayer. And that prayer was to be bold in their speaking, even though they were facing opposition and persecution. And don't we see that today? I mean, just think of the church in China growing at such a rapid rate, even though they're, well, they're not really allowed to meet. I remember hearing a minister from Syria speaking a few years ago about what it was like to be a Christian there. And when he spoke, the phrase that really got me was this, whatever it takes. The thing is, they knew they wanted those around them to know Jesus, so they went for it, even though they were risking their lives. And do you know what? Those churches were full to the rafters every Sunday. Now, of course, we are fortunate not to face persecution or opposition, but it, it does mean that sometimes we can be complacent or we can be content to stay as we are. But if we love Jesus, if we know we are loved by him, then surely we want others to know him too. How do we feel about praying a bold prayer for boldness? Well, of course, the good news is that the boldness doesn't start with us, really. The, all the boldness we need to do is to, to pray. That is the boldness we need. The, the rest of it is up to God. <laughs> so in a sense, the boldness starts with God. So what we can do is be bold and ask God by his spirit to enable us to speak the word of God boldly this week, whatever we face. It might be, though, that you're sitting in your chairs going, oh, I can't do that. That's a bit scary. Maybe you're feeling a little unnerved by all of that. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you think, well, I can't do that. That's other people. But actually, we can all do that. Not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. But of course, very briefly, there's more about this. Because in verse 29, it doesn't stop with the early Christians asking for boldness. You know, they continue and they say, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant Jesus. They pray for miracles. Now, it's really important to notice that this prayer for miracles happens alongside this prayer for boldness. You know, this is not asking for miracles for the sake of miracles. It's miracles so that Jesus is proclaimed, 
so that the good news is seen and heard. When we pray for healing, for example, we do so in the name of Jesus, as Peter and John had done, and that means that all the glory is given to Jesus. It's always about him. But I was thinking about the fact that the miracles and the healing and also the fact that the place they were in um, shook meant that later they would go on to share all their possessions with each other. They would go on to see miracles and signs and wonders. But I'm sure it also led to a sense of community, of sharing together in all the ways that God had enabled them by his spirit. And I'm sure it also enabled them to keep going under such persecution because it got worse, as we will find out in the coming weeks. You know, this was really just the start. So this morning, as we pray for boldness, as we pray a bold prayer for boldness, let's pray for signs, for wonders, for miracles, so that they become a testimony to Jesus and so that they build our faith as well. And as we pray, I want to encourage you to take hold of who you are praying to. You are praying to your sovereign Lord, the one who is author of creation, the one who gives revelation by his spirit, the one who is God of history, the one who gives us his Holy Spirit to empower and embolden us. So let's not be afraid. Let's be bold and pray. Let's pray. I wonder whether I could invite you to stand if you're willing and able as we pray. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, and I want to encourage us to use this song as a prayer. And actually, it's a prayer of boldness, really. I'm going to read you some of the words, and we're going to use these words just to help us uh, to do that. But of course, as always, if you feel that there's something particular that you want to ask God for this morning, if, if you just have that sense that you need to boldly pray, then do come forward, and we'd be delighted to pray a prayer of blessing for you. And of course, there'll be opportunities to do that afterwards. Let me use these words as a prayer. There must be more than this. O breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us anew, we pray. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. Spirit of God, fall in this place. Lord, have your way. Have your way with us. Come like a rushing wind. Clothe us with power from on high. Now set the captives free. Leave us abandoned to your praise. Lord, let your glory fall. Consuming fire, fan into flame. A passion for your name. Spirit of God, fall in this place. Lord, have your way with us.